This is the Let's Go Win Podcast with your host, J.M. Ryerson. What's happening, you guys? Welcome back to the Let's Go Win Podcast. This is going to be a lot of fun today because this gentleman brings a ton of knowledge, ton of energy, and he's going to blow your minds, honestly. Jared Yellen is the founder of Project 10K and a parallel entrepreneur who focuses on launching companies that even the playing field. From marketing solutions to educational platforms, simple sales training, and so much more. Jared has supported over 100,000 small business owners over the last 10 years. Jared, what's up, brother? How you doing? Hey, I'm pumped to be here, man. I love the energy that you bring. I'm going to match it. I may even try to surpass it a bit. And uh, I'm an open book. Ask me anything you want. I just want to create value for your audience. I love what you're doing. I love what you stand for. And I'm here to support. Oh, brother, you bring a ton of energy. As I said, the moment we connected, I was like, well, this guy will be in my life for a long time. He's doing some really cool shit in the world. And I mean that in the greatest compliment I can give. I'm going to start with, because I had to look it up. I thought I knew what a parallel entrepreneur is, but I would just, can you describe what that means to the audience? Because I'm not going to pretend I had to look it up to be like, am I on the right path here? It's funny. So it, it's not self-proclaimed. I had this um, this really close friend of mine who is a multi-exiter. So he's had many, many very large exits. Um, and he's he's known me from the early, early days of, of Jared as an entrepreneur, really just kind of rubbing two sticks together and creating warmth and then figuring it out and building some momentum and velocity. And he said to me, I've never used this term before, but I feel like it's very appropriate for you. And I'm like, what? He goes, you're a parallel entrepreneur. And he goes, it's not serial because serial is like this linear thing, right? Like he's a serial entrepreneur. Like he's built, scaled, sold, built, scaled, failed, built, scaled, sold. Like he keeps launching things sequentially. He's like, you just launch many things at one time. And what's interesting is how you make decisions around what you launch because everything that you launch supports everything else. There's never anything random. And what it does is it produces a synergistic outcome because what a synergy is the one plus one equals something more than two. I say it's infinity. So I just keep on launching companies that really all support, they vertically integrate. And then the way that I do it is I find the beacon to run every individual company. So I'm not involved in any individual entity. I'm always involved in the whole. And then my responsibility is to bring attention to the whole and then figure out where to filter that attention into to support the individual entities. But a parallel entrepreneur is doing just that. They are running many companies at the same time. The only way to make it work, at least from my experience, is they have to vertically integrate. They have to support one another. Otherwise, it's chaos. And then there's a different side effect to that, which is the one plus one equals something less than two. And no one wants that in their life. Well, I guess my simple question is because I would be considered maybe serial or maybe just an entrepreneur. I'm not sure, but launching one company at one time for me is like, that's, that's a lot going on to have the ability to launch multiple at the same time. I know you said the beacon, someone really running is kind of how I heard that, but still brother, that is, that's quite an undertaking. How did you find this is a gift of yours? So I, I, I'm really self-aware. And one of the things that I realized very early on as an entrepreneur is that I am wildly passionate, insanely enthusiastic, and maybe one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world, from going from zero to one in entrepreneurship. And what zero to one is defined as is not zero to a million. It's zero to what I call product market fit. 
which means that you're taking this abstract elusive concept and you're finding a way to get somebody to take their credit card out and pay for it. I'm really good at that. Like I'm really good at taking air and turning it into something that's not air and actually of substance and has a chance to then go on a journey to scale and go for an exit. I lose interest after one, like my passion, my enthusiasm, my drive, maybe even my commitment to some degree, it, it just starts to, 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 to waver. And the internal joke on our team is Jared loves puppies. He just doesn't love dogs. And, and I guess the team's right, because that's truly what I love. I love that early, early stage where it's so agile and any one decision could be like the decision, right? There's a certain point where that doesn't happen anymore. Like those decisions don't have as much of an impact. So I'm just self-aware. I just know where I'm strongest. I probably have left a lot of opportunity on the table often because I'm really good at that zero to one. And it's not that I'm not good at one to infinity. I'm just not as interested. And what I've learned is almost no one wants to do the zero to one. They love the one to infinity because the zero to one is by far the most risk. I mean, if, if you're an entrepreneur and you're starting a company, let's say the one is a million dollars. Let's just use that as a number, even though that's not necessarily what it means. Let's just say that's what it was. The zero to a million is literally a hundred times riskier than the million to the 10 million. And then the 10 million to the hundred million is exponentially less riskier. So the risk goes down once you can figure out zero to one. And I love that space. So it's just a ton of self-awareness. I only do things that I love doing. Not that I don't put my time in and I have done plenty of that, but I really focus on what I call my flame. And I think this is one of the key distinctions for most entrepreneurs. Picture a candle for a moment, right? So there's a candle. And a candle, for the most part, is made up of wax, right? Because the bottom of the candle is wax, and on the top is that little flame. What most entrepreneurs and business owners do is they get stuck in their wax. They're doing everything but what I call flame work. And as a result, they can't build velocity and momentum. They get bored. They feel stuck. But that's obvious. They're in their wax. So what I've done is I identify flame for myself and then for everybody around me as well. And we are, we are in so intentional about this. We're like, what is that new hire's flame? What are they uniquely qualified to do? What turns them on? What allows them to lose track of time and space? What would they do if they even weren't getting paid? Like, what is that thing for them that just lights their fire? And when we identify it, that's all we have them do. And when you can create an entire culture where everyone's operating in flame, what you do is you produce a bonfire. And bonfires are out of control. Like, they're just out of control from the energy and the heat and the impact. That's my secret, is I just get really clear on my flame and I just stay in that space 90 to 100% of the time. And I mean that. I'm very intentional about that. Yeah. Where did you learn to be so self-aware, brother? Because honestly, when you say zero to one, I know very few people, including myself. That's the part that I'm like, oh, man, it's I don't. But once it's kind of built and now you get to grow it. That's the stuff I love. So where did this self-awareness come from, brother? What, did you did you fall on your face a couple of times? Is this, you came out of the womb and you're like, dude, I, I know how to build companies. This is just what I'm doing. Where did it come from? So you know what it is? I, it's a great question. Um, and I, it came from my childhood. So when, when, I was, when I was 20 years old, I had this realization, which was eventually I'm going to become a dad. And I knew it wasn't then. And I don't know many 20-year-old men that think about becoming a father unless they're actually about to become a father. So it's kind of like an odd thought process. And where was it derived from? And it was derived from the fact that I was reflecting on my childhood. 
And as I reflected on my childhood, it, it was it was kind of a roller coaster ride. My parents went through an extremely intense divorce when I was about five years old. I'm sure there was worse divorces than theirs, but it, it was pretty grueling. Like you, they did literally everything you could do wrong in the space of a divorce. Like they they did it like 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 to the T. Um, and as a result, it was just really it was it was arduous. If somebody were to ask me what's one word to define your childhood. I would have said loud, like there was just nowhere for me to go for peace. So what I did was I gravitated to my introspection. And I remember being really young and assessing and analyzing everything, asking tons of questions, having to understand the source of decision, the source of anger. Like I was an odd kid from that perspective. And then I gravitated to personal development and I started listening to audios and reading books and I immersed myself into motivational quotes. But what it did was it helped me see me. And it helped me see what brought me joy in the midst of all this, this chaos. And that was where my self-awareness began. And then from there, I became fanatical about going deeper into me. And one of the places where I learned a lot about myself was in the gym. So I got very early on in life, extremely passionate about health and fitness, so much so that I would beg my parents to let me work out. And when I finally turned 13, my dad's like, okay, here's what you can do. Because I used to think that it would stunt your growth if you lifted weights too early. Ridiculous, but that's what they, that's what they were told. Um, they said, okay, you're 13. You can do the rowing machine and pull-ups. Nothing more, nothing less. So I freaking did the rowing machine and pull-ups every day. Like such a discipline. But when you're doing something so monotonous, because the rowing machine is pretty damn boring, you're just in your thoughts, right? You're just introspecting. You're getting to know yourself. And then I got to high school. And when I got to high school, I'm like, dad, listen, I'm not stopping with the rowing machine and pull-ups. Like we're going to get after this. And I started to get after it. And then I'm in the gym and like, I'm in the gym when my friends are playing video games and I'm eating really healthy foods. So my, my friends are, are drinking Kool-Aid and having Cheetos and, and I'm reading books and listening to audios when, when they're, they're doing stuff that typical teenagers do. And I, listen, I was the most popular kid in high school. So it wasn't, I was like this odd whole lot. I was so intense about gaining the edge, not because I felt like there was competition. I just wanted it. I knew that there was something big in my life and I was preparing myself for it. And then when I went to college, it all came together and I committed to natural bodybuilding as a lifestyle, never competed. It wasn't for that purpose. It was just for my discipline. But I lived the lifestyle of a completely natural bodybuilder. I didn't even take protein powder. That's how natural I was. And I was like Herculean strong. I used to incline bench press over 400 pounds and no one even knew because I'd go to the gym wearing a sweatshirt and sweatpants and because I wasn't doing it for that. Like, it was just an internal thing. And I, I'd look around the gym and I'd find, because there's a rule in the gym that if you had more than two plates on the bench, you, you had to have a spotter. That was the rule of the, of the, of the, of the gym at the college. So over 400 pounds is over four plates. So I, I had to have a spotter and I'm like, I don't want a spotter. So I'm going to find either like a little woman or, or the, the smallest dude in the gym to spot me knowing that they can't help. And I bring them over and they would see what I was about to do. And they're like, you know, there's no chance I can help you if you get stuck. I'm like, that's exactly why I'm asking you to help me because I know you can't. So I share that as a very key principle. I am always in my head, but I'm not stuck in my head. And I think this is one of the areas that most entrepreneurs get stuck in their head versus going to their gut because their gut is what drives their action. And you think about a parent, if a child was in danger and they were about to fall off a cliff, you wouldn't think about how to save your child, right? You would just go into your intuition, which is your gut. You would just do it. Like there's stories of 
of moms that lift cars because their child stuck under the car. They didn't think about lifting the car. If their logical mind kicked in, they wouldn't have lifted the car, but they were in their intuition. So they had this new force. Well, that's where impact comes from. It's coming from your gut, but I'm constantly in my head, analyzing, thinking and figuring out what drives me and what holds me back and what holds other people back. And that's what led to this level of self-awareness. Wow. Well, as I told you off camera, I think the first time we spoke, you you think differently. That's clear. I mean, your line of thinking when you told me what you're doing, I was like, you're going to have to say that again because it doesn't <laughs> quite add up in my head. And I want to talk about that, man. So Project 10K, for the audience, let's just kind of describe what that means because it's substantial, you guys. Buckle up. I hope you follow this and he will make it simple. I promise. But it's 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 really inspiring. So let me tell you back what what led to this. So I'm, I realized early in life I was unemployable. Like it was it was a given. Like I was unemployable. I got to do my own thing. And you probably all that are listening here watching this. You're like, yeah, this dude, that makes total sense. There's no way this guy can be employed somewhere. So I just knew it. Self-awareness. Right. I'm like, I'm not going to even try. Funny story, I did try for six months when I was 21 years old. I worked on Wall Street at Merrill Lynch. I knew nothing about, and zero financial IQ at that time, but I, I sold my way into this role. And uh, my mentor at Merrill Lynch said to me, Jared, you look kind of young. I'm like, yeah, I'm 21. Yeah, I look exactly the way I should look. And he goes, yeah, but you know, if you combed your hair over to the right, you, you had 10 years. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to show up tomorrow because that's definitely not the environment that someone like me can fit into. So that was my little stint of trying to be an employee. But besides for that, it just, it just didn't work. But I'm what you call a non-technical tech founder. So what that means is there's not an engineering bone in my entire body. I know how to write marketing content, so direct response marketing, and I know how to sell. Those are two things that I'm really, really strong at. Yet I have these tech ideas and I somehow found a way to do everything you could do wrong as a tech founder, but I still landed on my feet. And I landed on my feet with a company called Synduit, which over the past few years grew from this obscure concept to now over 40,000 active paying users. The marketing software for small business owners, a B2B SaaS company, and SaaS is software as a service. And it's a great business. We set out to build the simplest marketing software in the world for the everyday small business. And what we produce is the simplest marketing software in the world for the everyday small business. And about two years ago, I woke up one day and I realized I'm officially obsolete at Synduit. Remember, I'm a zero to one guy. This is already an old dog to me. Like this is like this is like a dog with like lost an eye at this point. Like it's it's, it's hobbling around. So I'm I'm obsolete, obsolete. And when I make up my mind, my mind is made up. But that's a really exciting place to be. I mean, every one of you that's listening or watching this, you should desire to reach that point. Like, don't have your identity attached to being needed in your company. Like, have your identity attached to being completely independent from your company. Allow it to grow and prosper without you. That's where I was, and I was 35 years old. Two young kids, happily married, and we have a very nice life because of Synduit. I started thinking to myself, what's my next move? Like, what's my next chapter? And as I started digging into that, I realized that I had to go after a moonshot. It was time to do something that would shake up the world or I'd go down trying. And as I started digging deeper into that, I felt this calling. And the calling was, do what you just did with Synduit, but 10,000 more times by 2031. And I have no idea why that was the number because that's a ridiculous number. I get it. But what I also know is you never negotiate against the calling. You just go with it. So I called my CTO of Synduit. His name is Monty. I called him up 
And I called my director of operations of Sanu. Her name is Katie. She's like my right-hand woman um, at, at that company. And I said, I got this, this crazy idea. I'm going to do it with or without you. Just want to know it's happening, but I want you to do it with me. They're like, yeah, tell us, what is it? I'm like, let's build, scale, and sell 10,000 tech companies in the next 10 years. Are you in? And I said it like complete, like, this is what's happening. Like, this wasn't like just trying to see what they responded to. Like, this is what's happening. And they were, we were on Zoom like this without even thinking. They said, we're in, but we have no idea what you're talking about. So I'm like, all right, let me explain. We're going to launch a tech ecosystem. Some people might think this is an incubator. Some might call it a tech accelerator. And those are great programs. That's just not what this is. What this is, is a place for entrepreneurs from around the world to come and pitch their tech ideas that are scribbled on a napkin. Just the concept. That's all that we want. Because everything that exists today that we can't live without, it started as a concept. You cannot bypass that step. Everything starts as an idea. And I wanted to hear the ideas of the world. And when they pitch us, there's going to be four major pillars that we want to uncover. The first is the right people. The second is the right idea. The third is the right market. And the fourth is the right business model. And when those four things are present, and there's a lot of nuance to it, we will co-found a company with that entrepreneur. We'll take equity in the company. So our values are perfectly aligned. And then we will build the entire company at cost. And that's everything from the software development to the business development, the sales, the go-to-market, the copywriting, the graphic design, the bookkeeping, the investor relations, the legal, the operations, like, like everything. And about 97% of the initial cost for what we call the minimum viable company, because we don't launch products, we launch companies, is at cost in India in a company that I've owned since 2017. And so as a result, the risk is low and the cost is low. So about two years ago, we launched Project 10K, which is a project to build, scale, and sell 10,000 tech companies over the next 10 years. In our first two weeks, we co-founded seven companies. And Mani, my CTO, called me up. And he's like, Jared, you have to slow down. I'm like, no, dude, you got to speed the freak up, man. Like we have 9,993 to go. And I feel a ton of pressure, like time's ticking. But he was right. Like, like we, I was literally flying a plane that had no wings on it. He was like trying to run after me to put the wings on as I was, as I was flying. So I did slow down. I honored the request for about five or six months. We just focused on those seven companies to build out our human infrastructure. That was the only reason we needed to slow down. We had, we had like a dozen people on the team. We grew to a couple hundred people on the team. And about 15 months ago, we stepped on the gas. We have not looked back since. Uh, we've had thousands of entrepreneurs come through this process, literally from around the world. We had a woman pitch us from a mud hut in Africa. Somehow she got internet to Miami, Florida, to Bend, Oregon, to the Dominican Republic, and everywhere in between. Uh, we've co-founded a little over 150 companies in our first year, which is actually way more remarkable than 10,000 in 10 years because that was our year to figure this thing out. Like, like literally, how do you do this? Like, there, there's no blueprint for this. Like, what does it look like to scale every department of a business to support that many companies? Like, these aren't clients. These are companies. We did figure it out. But what I'm most proud of is this. I'm most proud of that we are not playing the law of averages. I'm most proud of that we're not looking to have like three big wins so that we win, those three entrepreneurs win, and everybody else suffers. Because here's my reality. Every industry has been disrupted. Every industry has been disrupted except for entrepreneurship. Transportation has been disrupted. Hospitality has been disrupted. The food industry has been disrupted. Every industry has been disrupted, but not entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship somehow, some way is okay being mediocre where there's a one to 2% success rate. 
And I just stand against it. Why has there not been a better way to become an entrepreneur? I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. That's what we're doing. We are disrupting entrepreneurship. This is not law of average. It's the exact opposite of that. And my certainty is three things. We have an absolutely extraordinary team at this point. Leadership team, we have beautiful hierarchy that like, doesn't feel like hierarchy, but there is. So there's really great processes and procedures. We have a powerful ecosystem of co-founders, investors, strategic alliances, and we have the most important currency that exists today, which is attention. We have a ton of attention from athletes and celebrities, politicians, icons in Silicon Valley, family offices, private equity, venture capital. And the reason we have so much attention is because of what we're producing. We are causing the democratization and the decentralization of technology. And what that means is we created a new table and this new table has seats at the table and there's a seat for everybody. They have to earn their seat, but there's a seat for everybody. Like this minute, we have more women founders and men founders, which wasn't even intentional. It just somehow happened, which is really cool. Most ethnicities are represented. Our youngest founder is 11. Our oldest is 77. It's never too early and never too late to become a tech founder. And we have high school dropouts and Ivy League graduates. It's really diversified. And then decentralized means that we're bringing our infrastructure to cities and countries that have no tech infrastructure. And people that are in those cities and countries think they need to leave those cities or countries to pursue their big dream. And we're like, no, you can stay exactly where you are because we're coming to you. So that's what we're doing. We are just completely disrupting entrepreneurship. And what we're proving is this. We're proving that together is better. Because when somebody becomes an entrepreneur, the reason they fail, this is the reason why they fail, is they have to figure out everything for themselves because they're on an island by themselves. Everything from marketing to onboarding to customer support to sales, if it's tech, from the software development side to scaling the software development side to the server management side to the fundraising side, like those are all reasons why a company would fail. Any one of them doesn't go right. They, they fail. So what we're proving is together is better. And that's not hype. That's reality. We have an ecosystem. And like nature, where there's an ecosystem and everybody plays their part in the ecosystem and nature is pure and harmonious. It's beautiful. It's the exact opposite of our society. It's pure, it's harmonious. Everybody achieves more together. That's what we're doing in entrepreneurship. It's an ecosystem where our our co-founders and companies can share end users. They share investors. They share ideas. They share strategic alliances. They share wins and losses and emotional support. And in the space of sharing, together we achieve more. That's the disruption entrepreneurship. We're going to go from the 1% to 2% success rate to 90 to 95 to maybe even, I'm crazy enough to say, 100% success rate because of how we actually go about doing this. I told you guys it was going to be a lot. So, uh, my question to you, brother, is obviously there, you have confidence in what you're doing clearly, and you have confidence in in your vision. But there's a nice humility about you that's that's really refreshing that you don't always see in the space. I'm not sure where that comes from. Maybe that's just who you are. But my question would be, with that confidence, it's like Jared's never failed, man. Jared just life comes easy, but there's got to be stories here where it wasn't always that easy, right? I want to know, brother, how you came to this period of just utter confidence. Because if I could take one thing from you, it's not strategy. It's not vision, although that would be close. It would be if I could take that confidence and give it to every single person that that I influence, that I talk to, that I'm around, it would be that confidence. Can you talk to me about failure and confidence and where you land on those two 
specific items. So notice the reason I am, and this is not like me putting it on front, I am confident to 110%, like the level of certainty around my ability and the ability of our team to do this is 110%. And, but here's why. We don't believe it's going to be easy and it hasn't been easy to get here. And I'll share some great stories with you too. But it's it's the fact that everything in life is man or woman made, everything. And the only reason why anyone ever fails is because they stop making they just give up. That's the only reason why you fail. Because if you hold on long enough, it's inevitable you're going to win. It's a guarantee that you're going to win. So that's the key is I just know that everything is man or woman made. When I have challenge, and trust me, I have a ton of challenge and adversity and like crazy stuff because we're doing a lot of crazy things, right? So I, I will happily share some of those stories with you. But here's my reality is I am grateful for the challenge. Because I know I caused it because I'm doing what's never been done before. And that's what challenge represents to me. Challenge to me represents that I am going outside of the perimeter of the known. And that's why there has to be challenge. It's just uncharted territory. And I'm willing to charter it so that other people can then charter it with us as well. I wake up and have lunch and go to bed every single day with uncertainty, like every day. Yet I am certain we're doing this. That's crazy. That's such a tug of war, right? But here's my reality. People that are traveling a path called status quo, they have no reason to experience uncertainty. And I'm not speaking down about anybody. If that's your self-awareness, like you love certainty, awesome. That's I am I, I wish I did, right? Like life would be easier for me in many ways if I did. I just don't. I love uncertainty. So when I have that feeling of doubt that shows up, because I have it breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day and in between all throughout the day as well, I am grateful for it because what it represents is I'm doing what's never been done before. And I'm just living outside of what I call the perimeter of my comfort zone. And I'm just expanding that freaking perimeter so that things that should be really uncomfortable, like tickle me, like I like giggle about that kind of thing. But yeah, the, the confidence is not a facade. It's, this, is, this is just what I do. And the reason is because I know that any problem can be solved by men or women willing to create a solution to that problem. And I've had some serious challenges. I remember years ago, Sinduit was originally a marketing agency. That's how we started. Because that was something that I could control. Like I'm non-technical, right? So I had the vision for the tech. I had the money to fund the tech, but I felt irresponsible taking money and investing in this elusive concept that I wasn't really clear on yet, but I knew that I wanted to just get something in motion. So I did. And I sold myself as a copyman. And I got two pretty high profile clients to give me a shot. And we did a performance campaign. So it was it was really easy for them to say yes, because it was 100% performance-based. I would earn 30% of any new top-line revenue that I produced for them. And I made them a million dollars a month for six months in a row. So they were happy. I did well economically, but more than the money, they just told everyone about me, like everyone. We went from two clients to almost 400 clients in 14 months. So it was fast growth, big team, big office. And one of our clients, the gentleman named Darren Hardy, I don't know if you know who Darren is, but he was the, the editor-in-chief of Success Magazine. And uh, it's funny how Darren came into my world. He filled out the contact us form on our website. And he's like, I heard you're the best at what you do. I want to talk to you. And then someone on my team on the business development side knew of him because of what he does. And they're like, you think that's really Darren Hardy? And this was like before there was bots, like that, that didn't exist. So I'm like, yeah, I think it is. I think I think it is. Like, I can't imagine somebody else is putting his name in. That's kind of weird. And, and it's his Gmail attached to it. And let me call him. So I personally called him and he answers the phone and it's, it's Darren Hardy. And he goes, yeah, I knew you'd call me. And he goes, I heard you're the best at what you do and I want to hire you. 
And I'm like, cool, what do you want to hire me to do? And he goes, I have this big launch coming up. It's significant. We're expected to do $10 million on it, which at that time was unheard of. Like no one was doing $10 million launch. Even today, that's pretty unheard of, but no one then was. And I want to hire you to do it, but it's going to be really fast. I'm high maintenance as hell. I'm not going to pay you. And it's performance-based. And I totally get it if you don't want to do it. But if you do it and you perform, you're set for life because everybody will see that you're the person that supported me. And I'm like, let's go. It wasn't even like I'd think twice about it. I'm like, well, let's do it. So we did. And he is high maintenance. And it was a really big launch. And we had to build crazy custom stuff because at that time, this is like almost a decade ago, there were not like click funnels didn't exist. Like there weren't things like that. So we were like building tech for this launch that was in six weeks. It's like crazy thinking back, like what we actually pulled up. And I invested over $150,000 into this. I hired another firm to support because if we were to have used our current team, we would have lost all of our clients. So like I hired another firm to help me do this. I put the money into it so that we could succeed with this launch. And we got 17,000 people to register for this webinar, which is unheard of. Like no one then, like that's more common, I guess, today. And even that's a big number, but 17,000 people like a decade ago signing up for this webinar. And the only piece that we did not control of this entire launch was the pre-recorded webinar platform. We didn't build that. We were using this third-party tool. There'd be no way to build that in six weeks. Literally, that, that is impossible. So I reached out to the founder, just kind of blindly through LinkedIn. I'm like, hey, we have a webinar tonight for 17,000 people. I want to make sure your platform can handle this, or at least you do something so your platform can handle this. And he called me immediately. And he goes, yeah, we're good. We're good. I'm like, what does we're good mean? He's like, we can handle up to 100,000. I'm like, listen, I need you to realize something. I think that all 17,000 people are going to click on the link at the same time to join this webinar, I think. And I want to know that you've tested that. And if not, test it today and do whatever you need to do. Like, I will pay you money to scale up servers to accommodate that. Because there's always a way to handle the load. You have to be prepared for it. He goes, I am positive we can do it. I'm like, all right. I take your word for it. So it's webinar time, 7.30 at night. Darren's on a plane flying to Mexico to lead this mastermind session. He pre-recorded the webinar. It was scripted. It is perfect. We're expected to do $10 million. I was going to get 30% of sales. That would be 3 million bucks. That'd be a huge deal for the company at that time or, or any time. It's just a big deal in general, but it's more than the money. It's the fact that there's a lot of eyeballs that just saw what we did. Six weeks turned around this campaign and have 17,000 registrants for it. And we had like the who's who of personal development watching this. The webinar is about to go on. 10, 9, 8, 3, 2, 1, completely white screen. Like we completely fried the servers. Like, because I what I said was going to happen, happened. Like this was not like post-COVID where people sign up for registered webinars and don't show up. Like people thought this was like a real thing. Like they were, they like got popcorn ready, like got their family ready. Like they were ready for this experience with Darren and, uh, and the whole thing for us. Like the server just completely crashed for 47 minutes a white screen. Darren's wife is texting me. She goes, what's going on? Fix it, fix it. This was the one thing I had no control over. Like there was nothing I can do other than like send maniac messages to this dude. I'm like, fix it. Just get it up. Just get it up. We can restore it. Get it up. Get it up. 47 minutes later, it went back up only because people started leaving. So like that was the only reason why like the server is like they, they restored themselves. So we ended up doing $3 million with the launch, um, which is still a great launch, but it wasn't 10. And Darren's like, I'm not paying you anything. You didn't perform. I'm like, I get it. I own it. I took 100% responsibility for it. But it was the, one of the darkest moments in my life. And it wasn't because of the, the, the $10 million. Like that was not it. It was the fact that I galvanized so much energy around my actual team, not the team that I hired, but the actual team around this as like the moment for us to shine and we're going to be set for decades to come. And the thing flopped. 
and everybody saw it blop. And it was, and, and, and the way that I handled it ended up really serving in the future. Like a lot of those relationships that in theory would be like, you can't deliver are now like investors and things like that with me. But that shit was dark, man. It was so difficult. I remember that moment I realized, because I always used to think to myself, why is everybody not an entrepreneur? Like who would ever want to work for somebody else? Like I can't, I don't even get why my employees want to work for me. I'm like, why does everybody not do this? That was the moment when I realized you got to be crazy to really commit to entrepreneurship. And that's why that's why we're doing what we're doing today. Because I want to support the people that are crazy enough to go after their goals, but there's just gaps in their skill set their resources, and those gaps guaranteed will lead to their demise. And I want to make sure that they have the foundation to then go on the journey. So that was one of many, many, many very dark moments in my story as an entrepreneur. Well, my favorite part about it is just the fact that you just owned it. Like, look, even though it's not my fault, quote unquote, it is this this other vendor that that didn't come through. You said my fault, my bad, and, and owned that. To me, I'll work with that all day long. But if you're like, here's why, excuse, 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 which we all see all the time. I love that you took full responsibility. I want to ask you, brother, being around all these incredible people, uh, these leaders, when it comes to leadership, I'm just curious. You've, you've worked around some phenomenal leaders from my understanding. What do you find to be some of the most effective and important leadership principles that if you're like, look, I just wish everybody in leadership roles would do X. Do you kind of have that, that top three to five thoughts? Because I see them from my vantage point, but you're around some of the, the movers and shakers of the world, some of the greatest leaders. What are you seeing that they do so exceptionally well that we could all learn from? Yeah. So I'm going to answer this, but this has nothing to do with Darren Hardy. That was just the story, but I'm going to answer this differently than how you think. So I have gone behind the scenes with most of the icons, like I've done things with them, got to know them and actually was really disheartening for me. And the reason was it's like going to like a really fancy restaurant, like a really fancy restaurant and actually taking a tour of the kitchen. You're not going to eat at the restaurant most likely. Like you're just not. And that was what was so disheartening is that they would stand on stage and Darren was actually, yeah, he was great. Like he actually does what he says he's going to do. But, but most of them don't like they're on stage and like, do as I say, not as I do. And seeing that so consistently, because remember, I'm like this very self-aware, always looking to gain the edge. I'm like, I'm going to literally do the exact opposite, like the exact opposite. Do as I do, not do as I say I do. And that has been my distinguishing factor is I do and then people follow what I do versus me saying what I'm going to do and then not actually doing it. So for any of you out there, whether you're leading yourself, which all of you are, or you're leading a team or one or many, you must, and I mean, this sounds cliche, but most just don't do the cliche. You must be the example of what's possible at all times. The reason I have such a committed organization, the reason why our co-founders are so committed is because they see how committed I am. We do this thing. We have a Facebook group for for our co-founders. It's a daily flex challenge. And what we do is I flex daily. And what I'm not literally muscles, but what I'm flexing is what I did that day. Like, this is what I did this day. This is how many cold outbound messages I sent. This is how many follow-ups I sent. This is how many sales meetings I had. Why do I do that? We all need new baselines. We all need new baselines. And I can't wait for someone to outflex me. No one has come close yet, but I'm not doing it to make them feel badly about themselves. I'm doing it to show them if you want it badly enough, this is what you got to do. And I have dinner every night with my kids. I never miss it. Five o'clock with my dad. 
every night, every single night until they go to bed and they negotiate me well. So it's 8.30ish and then they're in bed. And then with my wife until she goes to bed and then I spend 90 minutes writing. So one of my, one of my rules is if Aristotle's not going to quote you, then don't quote Aristotle. What I mean by that is write your own content. Like stop quoting other people. Like just quote yourself. Like become quotable. Have your own thoughts. Like you can be inspired by Aristotle, but have your own interpretation of what Aristotle inspired you to actually write. So I spend 90 minutes every night writing. I don't really read. I write. That's my my version of, of, of introspection. And then I'm up at four in the morning, I'm in the gym. I'm very regimented with my schedule, like extremely regimented with my schedule. And uh, and as a result, these boundaries are tight. And I do this because we need new baselines. The thing that excites me the most about Project 10K is not building, scaling, and selling 10,000 tech companies in 10 years, although I really care about that. But what I care more about is who each entrepreneur becomes in the process. Because in the end, when they sell, if their spouse hates them, their kids don't know them and they have an autoimmune disease because they made just like bad health decisions because they were grinding it out, we freaking fail them. Like we fail them. So as much as we talk shop, we talk life. We talk what I call have it all. And they define it and they commit to it. And we call out when they're out of balance and out of whack. And we call it out. Like if they've committed to, to working out every day, let's use that as an example, because 100% is easier than 90%. We call it out when they sift dates. Like, hey, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing today? 100% is easier than 90%. But here's why we're doing it. We're creating new baselines. Because the majority of our founders, they're not probably what you think of when you think of a tech founder. Like most people think of, like the 21-year-old that just graduated from Stanford and they're living in a house with 17 of their friends working 24-7, 365. That's not really who we're attracting. We're attracting professionals that have been in industries and they're, they're moderately to extremely successful and they found inefficiency in their industry. And instead of complaining about it, they have a solution for it. And now they're becoming a tech founder. So they're professionals. And as a result, for the most part, they all have kids that are five years old to 25 years old. And what I am most excited about is that we have founders with young children that are five, six, seven, eight years old, and they see mom or dad going after a dream, not talking about it, but going after it. And three years later, they sell their tech company for 20 million bucks. So economically, it helps the family, but it's more than the money. That child who was five and then six and then seven and eight saw mom or dad go after a dream and accomplish it. And as a result, that child has an entirely new baseline. And it's a baseline called anything is possible. That's what drives me with what we're doing here. It is creating new baselines for our founders. And then that spills over into the kids and then the kids' kids. And that's how we really impact the world. Well, you clearly have some philosophies that I hope everybody's hearing, which is have it all. Uh, one of the ones you said earlier, never negotiate against your calling. And that's what you're, you're bringing people to the table to say, look, you were called to something. Let's get it to the world. Do you want to expand on that? Because I love that. And being someone that has rejected my calling for years until I finally said, there's no decision. I need to, and that's let's go win, right? Like I had an easy life. I chose let's go win because I love it. It's my passion. So I want you to just speak to those right now, if you can, if you have an idea, where how how would they even go about it, Jared? The 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 mud hut gal you said I think in Africa to the eleven year old whomever that is that's amazing. How how would they get involved with what you're doing if they had that napkin idea and you're like, man, that's your calling. Let's let's connect. So to get involved and I, and listen, everybody who's going to watch or listen to this, I can guarantee you have an idea. You may not take yourself seriously enough to execute on it, but maybe just maybe this was what you needed to hear 
to at least give it a shot, right? Because here's my, what I know to be true. The most potential in the world resides in the graveyard. And I don't want your potential in the graveyard. Like, I don't want you dying with your great idea inside. I can guarantee you in the graveyard right now, there's a platform better than Google. There's a platform better than Facebook. There's a better Uber. There's a better Airbnb. I can guarantee it. I guarantee it. And I also know this as well, that every time that, that, that you go to a sporting event, the greatest athlete is not on the field. They're in the stadium watching everybody on the field. And what I mean by that is there's someone better than LeBron or Stefan or Alex Rodriguez that just didn't have the courage that those three gentlemen had. And as a result, now they're watching from, from the top of the freaking stadium wearing the other person's jersey instead of their own. Just don't be that person, right? Like the worst of worst case scenarios is you try and it doesn't produce the outcome, right? But what's even worse than that is never even trying at all. I mean, that's just crazy talk. So if you got the idea, head over to project10k.com and just fill out the application. It's a really fun experience. You'll get a chance to pitch us, go through our due diligence experience, and I hope we can co-found a company. But here's the reality. One thing I've learned doing this now is I've learned how to get attention. That's really what you need. You need to get attention. You need to get attention for the right reason. And the first person you get the attention of is yourself. Because most people don't pursue their calling because they're not even giving themselves the attention to pursue their calling because they feel silly. They feel like, like, how could I do something so significant? Like I was told, play it safe. I was told, fly under the radar. I can promise you anything you were ever told, if you do the exact opposite, you'll have a better life. Like guaranteed. So most don't give themselves the attention. But let's assume that you're going to do that. Now, the next thing you do is need to garner the attention of others. And I've reverse engineered how I did this because what I always tell our team is we have a perimeter around Project 10K of a trillion dollars worth of attention. And the number is made up, but maybe it's not. Like there's a lot of attention. And it's our responsibility to get people from the perimeter onto the field so they can play with us and co author a story with us. So there's three steps to getting attention and keeping attention. I reverse engineer this is literally what I did. The first thing is you must declare a moonshot that you believe is possible the same way I believe that my moonshot is possible. So this level of certainty, it's unwavering, it's undeniable. There's no naysayer that could get in your way. The naysayer actually lights you up even more because you know you're onto something. And for me, it's build, scale, sell 10,000 tech companies in the next 10 years. You have to have something that you declare. The second step is you take what I call maniac action. And maniac action means you're taking so much action so quickly that anyone that's watching, they think you're crazy, but they also think you're onto something at the same time. This does not mean your spouse hates you, your kids don't know you, and you get autoimmune disease. Like I just stand against the grind deeply, have boundaries, but within those boundaries, execute like a freaking maniac, like nonstop, execute, 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 keep on trying, keep on trying things. And the third thing is you talk about what you're doing incessantly and everywhere, like everywhere. You just keep talking about it. The talk is cheap if you're not executing like a maniac, right? So first you execute, you talk about it incessantly. What that does is it garners attention and keeps attention. That's why I can say, and I mean this, there's a trillion dollars of attention that we have right now. Maybe it's a hundred billion or maybe, maybe it's 10 trillion. All that I know is significant. And every day I'm committed to adding more attention to the perimeter. And I'm even more committed to getting that attention from the perimeter and onto the field 
And then I take 100% responsibility to figure out what's the right conduit to get people involved. That's my responsibility. And then remember, I have these beacons that are running all of the different companies that are within this ecosystem. So when I'm bringing attention to the perimeter, I'm then figuring out where does that person or organization fit so they can co-author the story with us. And that's exactly what I'm doing. And that's exactly what you can do. Listen, I might bring a lot of energy. You might wish you could speak the way that I speak. Like, Don't let that get in the way of you doing what I'm doing. I've been speaking like this for years. Like that's why I can speak so eloquently and clearly. I've been on, I don't even know, thousands of podcasts probably. I've produced thousands of videos, right? But I had to start somewhere. And my first video I ever recorded was when I was 20 years old. I had the vision of becoming a motivational speaker. And I bought a $100 tripod and a $100 camera. And I set it up in my living room and I sat on the couch. And my first two-minute video took me two and a half hours to produce. And I was thinking to myself, every two-minute video takes two and a half hours. I got no shot. So I made a commitment that day. And the commitment was this, that when I'm producing the content, it's for me. It's for me because I'm producing it. I'm speaking into whatever's on my mind. But the moment I'm done speaking, it's for everybody else. And I'm never allowed to watch it, ever, ever. And I have to just push it out there. As perfectly imperfect as it is, I have to push it out there. That decision allows me to be as certain as I am as a speaker. You can do this as well. You're just getting a story. Love that because you are your own worst critic. There's no question about it. Once it leaves, your intention is pure. Get it out there. I love that, brother. I didn't expect to hear that side, but I love that. So you said Project 10K. Where else would be a good place for the audience to connect with you online, brother? Yeah, every platform. Jared Yellen, find me, connect with me. We have, as you can hear, many different ways of getting involved. So if you have an idea, we want to hear it. If you want to invest in things, right? So we always have really cool investment opportunities, like really cool stuff. Most of them are for accredited investors. We're working on ways to have non-accredited investors get involved as well. But if you want to invest, whether you want to invest in an ownership in the holding company or an individual entity, any social platform, send me a DM. I monitor that myself. I'm, I'm, I'm very accessible. So send me a message and I'd love to find a way to get you involved. And just go to the website. We have so much stuff going on. We're launching physical tech hubs right now. Physical tech hub in 1,000 cities, tier two, three, and four cities around the world. We're literally going to connect local accredited investors with people that have business successes, mentors, and the innovators of cities. We're staffing each location and we're going to validate companies locally and scale them globally. Maybe you want to launch a tech hub in your city. Just listen, get involved, come to the site, send me DMs, and I'd love to find a way to get you to be really co author this with us. Yeah, brother, it's exciting. It's not often you talk to people and you're just like, wow, that's some innovative dude right there or female. But you're one of those people where I'm like, yeah, he's shifting and changing the world. I love disrupting entrepreneurship. I had not heard that before. I love that. Brother, thank you for taking the time. And I mean, look, you have so many stories I could sit here for hours. I just want to say thank you. You're, you're just you're an interesting, exciting guy. And I'm so blessed to have you in my life. Yeah, first thing is mutual. I want to acknowledge you, right? So make you squirm a little bit, but I want you to like take this in because I'm really proud of what you've done. You don't need to be doing what you're doing, but you need to be doing what you're doing. And I always like to tell people when I see that because this is a calling for you. I mean, you've done really well for yourself as an entrepreneur. You've had a lot of challenges too, but you need to be doing what you're doing. Like you don't need it, but you need to do it. And by doing it, you are catalyzing people that you don't even realize. Like the ripple effect of this movement that, that is just budding still. It's still in its infancy, right? It's still like taking form is so profound. And I know that you won't, but never let go. Just keep on keeping on. Even when that little voice shows up or the naysayer shows up, just let that be your fuel. Do the exact opposite of what everybody else would do. 
Most people when faced with adversity, they introvert, they hide, they go under the covers and they eat a Snickers bar by themselves. They feel badly about themselves. Do the opposite, extrovert, get louder, get bolder, take more maniac action. I'm just proud of what you're doing. It's really special to see. Well, thank you. I, I do take that in. That means a ton. And by the way, those thoughts always are creeping in. So brother, that, that validation, that, that reinforcement is so key. And thank you, man. I, it, it really does mean a lot. I, I don't know how to finish this other than, wow, it's, it's W O W. This guy is special. He's unique. I hope you guys go check him out at the bare minimum, take your napkin, send it over there. What do you have to lose? This guy is changing the way the world is seen, the way entrepreneurship is thought of, and you can be a part of that. So please do that. Remember to show up as you, I cannot wait to talk to you guys next time. Have a great one. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. That helps us build this community, and that is what we are all about. Building this community as big as we can, helping as many people as we can, and deliver as much value as possible. Be sure to head over to letsgowinpodcast.com for information on my coaching courses, and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Let's Go Win 365. Let's go win and transcend in life. This is the Let's Go Win Podcast with your host, J.M. Ryerson.